2: cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase. On their website and app, use promo code BSN10 to save ten dollars off a fifty dollar purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. Welcome into another episode of the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Beverage. I am your host today, AJ Hafley. I have a different kind of guest today, as I have managed to talk Will Scouch into coming in uh, onto the show with me. Well, you have a you have a website here that I stumbled upon semi-recently uh scouching.ca i stumbled you know i found you on twitter and then you had a patreon all kinds of different things right and i'm i'm flipping through all these different things and i'm like wow this is all really interesting uh signed up joined up you know decided to you know to to support some of the work that you're doing and now uh now i'm a big fan and i talked you into coming onto the show so Say hello to the good folks and uh, introduce yourself a little bit.
3: Yes, hello Denver. Uh, you really twisted my arm getting me on here. It, uh, it took a lot of thinking, but uh, no, true. I'm I'm joking. Um, yeah, so I'm Will Scouch. Uh I am the founder of Scouting.ca. Um, basically, just what I'm trying to do is create a, a platform that gathers as much data as I can possibly find about every NHL drafted or undrafted prospect that's out there uh, and try to compile it and analyze it in a way that kind of bridges the gap between the hard analytics types and the sort of traditional more eye test types, because I do think there's value in both. Um, so what I tried to do, especially this year was really ramp up the whole platform. So Scouting.ca is the website that I booted up, uh, booted up the Patreon to try to start funding it a little bit more. Um, really started to push my work out uh, a bit uh, more heavily into different areas, started writing more, although this year I haven't been writing as much as I wanted to. Um, but the big thing this year for me is the YouTube channel where I've started firing up, uh, really detailed, intricate reports on players who either look really good to traditional scouts and maybe don't match up on, on, uh, on the stat sheet, such as someone like Ilya Nikolaev uh, or on the other hands, uh, or on the other hand, someone who looks really great on the stat sheet but maybe in the eye test doesn't really show that well, like someone like Justin Bergeron, who is the most recent subject, or just someone who interests me quite a bit, like uh, U.S. National Development Program defenseman uh, Dominic Fensori. So it kind of runs the gamut uh, of stuff that just kind of interests me. Um, and so basically, what I'm trying to do is just create. A, a a resource for both fans and people who actually work in the industry just to provide them uh, with more information. Because with information, you know, it usually gives you a bit of an advantage if you have more information about especially players in the draft because the contracts they start out in in the NHL are the most valuable in the league. So you want to get good ones.
0: When you especially want to get good ones right right away. So... Uh, how long how long have you been at this
3: uh, I started the Twitter account in 2016 um, but I doesn't I didn't really take it very seriously for a while I just kind of mm-hmm. you know I've always been the guy who memorized everything every draft in every yearbook that I grew up reading. I was always fascinated. Um, I was a big science fiction kid as a, as a, as, as a young person. And I still am, but like, it was always about the future. It was always about what's possible. Um, And, and, you know, I was watching hockey and I was being, remember being really young and just going like, this game's really fun and amazing and all this stuff. And, you know, I grew up watching the Toronto Maple Leafs but you know now that I'm older I start to see how the game is evolving and getting away from the more old school kind of toughness and all that and you start seeing what the game could be which is this speedy skilled game and it just kept sucking me in more and more and more to keep looking for where the future of the game could go. And I think that there was a lot of uh, weird transitions between the way teams were drafting that was really interesting to to dig into and seeing where players were coming from. Guys who quote unquote came out of nowhere and you'd look their history up and look up some video from when they were younger and you're going, you know, this guy has no business being in the second or third or fourth round and teams just took a swing and it worked out. So, you know, who would have thought that would be possible? So I figured if there was a way to dig into that and. isolate variables that might tilt the scales in your direction you know nothing's perfect um but it's been you know a slow process over the last I'd say seriously three years um to at least to really dig into this but this past season really has been uh pedal to the metal for me
0: what are what are some of the things that you have learned uh the most especially since you've been going full bore in the last year what are some of the lessons that you've learned the most
3: That's a good question. I think one, uh, it's, it's slipping my mind right now, but there's a psychological effect where you think you're an expert right away. You know, I'm really glad that, that upfront, I, you know, personally, I think I was a little person in my own head. I was brash and thought everyone was dumb. Um, I think what I've learned over the last few years is to kind of maybe listen to more people who are already established in the industry, um, and, and try to see, see the words that they say for, for what they mean on paper, as opposed to automatically discrediting it or, or just kind of ignoring it because it doesn't really line up with what you think is, is reality. You know, I've, I, again, I'm not the kind of person who thinks that the eye test is the way to go. Um, I originally was the sort of all about the analytics type of person, um, which And look, analytics are extremely important, I think. I think it's, to me, more important than the eye test. I think something like analytics comes first and then the eye test sort of fills in the gaps as to what generates what you see on paper. Um, But over the years, definitely have been looking a lot more at really specific, you know, how is it that a player generates the production that they do? Um, Why is a player so highly ranked when, you know their numbers don't add up um, what is it about you know so- and so that has them so far back in the draft you know there has to be something that that cautions people and it's not completely um, out of the realm of possibility that the people who do use the eye test are right uh, but for me over the years it's been a lot more of really trying to find that balance and you know sticking to my guns but at the same time, listening to all opinions and and trying to see everyone else's perspectives.
0: So when you, when you, I'm I'm interested in this whole, the, the rise of the analytics in regards to the draft. Uh, I've been a big fan of, and I've, you know, I've certainly have incorporated a lot of uh, the, the analytics into my own work when we're talking about NHL players. Uh, But when it comes to development, I mean, we're talking about we're, we're, I mean, when when with the analytics in regards to teenagers here, and and the draft, I mean, we're really in, and no pun intended here, but like we're really in the infancy, aren't we? Sure,
3: it's it's certainly very interesting. I today was thumbing through some uh, some previous analytics conferences and the work that they do on the draft, and you know, it's still very. Uh, I don't want to say basic because it isn't. It's more just very. Uh, nebulous like it, you can't get too specific with it which kind of is what entices me like you, you you need to sort of see the players play to rectify what you see on paper the thing that I think is is interesting about the draft is that there are so many different leagues out there and so many different um, talent levels and so many different players that that you could even just bother to look at Um, you know, it's almost impossible for me to, you know, there are 650 players in the, in the sheet of, of undrafted prospects that I track. And I'll admit, I haven't seen them all play. Um, but it is, it is really interesting to cast that wide of a net, see who pops up. And again, like going back to the eye test thing, generally speaking, the numbers that I run. Versus the actual rankings people put out, it lines up pretty well. Like my first round this year, in terms of my ranking, it's about the same group that traditional scouts would, would put it's slightly different. And I think some guys are overvalued and some guys are undervalued. Um, but in terms of analytically looking at the draft, I find that it's more fruitful, not to think about it as finding advantages or finding hidden value, but maybe just, just um well yeah I guess it is like finding value sorry I lost my train of thought briefly there but uh it, it's more about finding out what you're getting when you draft a player you know there there are multiple ways of being successful playing hockey and I think that knowing what you're getting when you draft a player and having a very specifically tailored development plan for that playing style that that player has it, it is just as important as drafting a good hockey player Um, You you can't really get a player to be something they're not. And I feel like that happens. You know, um, a lot of guys perceived as quote unquote busts, you know, haven't always been those types of players. You know, one of the great examples that i love to bring up is Derek Broussard, who when uh, he was in junior uh, was a phenomenal talent. Um, And in his rookie season with Columbus, he looked fantastic but Columbus as an organization really seemed to want him to be tougher and stronger and, you know, grittier. And, you know, when he was an, un, you know, more of a skilled player and in his first rookie season, I think he got in a fight and broke or ripped his shoulder and he was never the same player again. And it's like, well, what, what is Derek Broussard doing in a fight anyway? Um, and now he's sort of seen as like a, a third line guy who's barely staying afloat in this league and it's like well if he just didn't get in that fight and you know didn't have to go down that road then what kind of a player are you looking at looking back and everyone just calls him one of the biggest busts ever but i i just i can't help but wonder about what might have gone differently so i'm hoping that the work that i do helps avoid situations like that so that you can really maximize the value at each pick
0: well, uh, we can definitely attest, uh, given what we sat through at the end of the season, that uh, Derek Broussard might be at the end of that career now.
3: Yeah, and I, I think it's just kind of unfortunate. I mean, he's just one example, but you know, I, I'm sure he won't be the last. But luckily, I feel like in the last couple of years, that trend has kind of slowly started to go away uh, as, as things progress, especially on the analytical side.
0: I, I mean, it certainly seems that way that. The, you know the the value in in truculence has started to to wane a little bit especially early in the draft where uh we you know we saw what like six defensemen last year under six feet tall something like that yeah uh that got that got drafted maybe even more than that it was it was a crazy number and it really represented more than anything else how the league is changing um which which made it kind of funny when the cup finals started and it was like Oh, this is the future of the NHL. It's all guys who are six foot four that bang, and it's
3: like, uh, yeah, yeah. Not cr- it, and, and the biggest hit of the game one was laid by Tory Crew. Exactly, and I love to point it out all the time. I, uh, I am a by train by training. I'm a I'm a scientist, and if you know anything about physics, um, kinetic energy has a lot more to do with your speed than your mass, and the fact that people can't seem to wrap their heads around that concept kind of blows my mind.
0: I think we're going to, we're going to see a lot of that in Colorado in the next few years with Kale McCarr, who is the dude that absolutely lays the wood, but is not a physically imposing uh, uh, human being.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he doesn't need to be, you just can't touch him.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's, (laughs) he just, just... he just, I'm very excited about that. He just, Um, but Uh, Kel McCarr is actually an interesting uh, flashpoint for moving into the next uh, thing that I'd actually like to talk to you about before we take a break here. Um, AJHL, a kid from the AJHL. You had previously mentioned there are guys from so many different leagues that you're drafting from. You know, the Avs on their own have drafted from seemingly every league that you could think of in the last four years. You know, they've drafted from the Czech League, from the the Liga, from uh, all three of the Russian leagues. That that kids go to, uh, they've drafted from the Czech too, uh, from the CHL, from the United States, from the USHL, everywhere, everywhere that you could find talent. The Avs have. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about trying to analyze guys that come from these different leagues, knowing that the quality of competition is just such a wild variance? You know, we see this year there's a there's a the German defenseman uh, Moritz Sider is coming out. And it's, well, okay, well, well, how do you value his his play in the DEL? How do you value his play in German junior leagues?
3: Yeah, so this is kind of where um, I'm still working on this. So one thing that I have found success with to a certain point, um, there's a metric that I developed that I'm calling NHLE score. So a lot of people have been working in NHLE sort of metrics, which, you know, you you could talk about the value of looking at that as like an absolute Um, but what I've found is there's lots of work out there by, you know, statisticians and, and, um, other writers around the hockey world where you can sort of stitch together, Uh, league difficulty indexes so you can sort of make it a little bit easier to understand what a point per game player in the Swedish junior league would be like relative to say a pro league player in Finland or uh, a QMJHL player. Um, The way I've kind of tweaked it is I account for the player's age so if they're Uh, in their second year of draft eligibility or their first or their third. Uh, I try to adjust it so that, you know, it equalizes their level of production within their league between that, that their ages. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is uh, looking at positional differences. So defensemen do not score nearly as many points on average as uh, forwards. So if I just, you know, sort of regress defensemen back to that forward level, you can sort of gauge gauge, on, a, on the whole, the type of level of production for that position, for that age, in that league that you're getting for that player. So, you know, it, it's really hard. Someone like Moritz Sider, it's really hard. I, I think Moritz Sider is someone who I'm a little bit cooler on than, than some people. You know, he was at the World Championships and he looked pretty good, he had a couple of goals. That's really great. Uh, and when I've seen him play, uh, I saw him play a little bit of international hockey in the uh, his world junior tournament this year where I thought he looked really good and everyone sort of told me, Oh, he's a physical guy, you know, all, all this other stuff and, and all that. But, but I found him to be a pretty good skater and I see the argument where people are saying, well, he's just very raw and very um, you don't know what he's going to be. So you can kind of malle. he's sort of malleable. Um, so that's kind of where that traditional scouting comes in. Like I'm not trying to come across as if you only need me to be successful you know, it, 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 I want to be sitting with people who have who have sat in an arena and laid eyes on these guys a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. You could convince me to take more at Cider a little bit higher than where I have him ranked if you've seen more of the other guys that look a lot better on paper to me. And, you know, I've seen Cider play hockey. You could convince me to, to be flexible on him. Um, so it's all about kind of working together. But in terms of looking at all the different leagues, it is tough Um, and it is extremely tough when you get men's leagues involved because young players tend not to play a whole lot, uh, relative to their teammates. So the numbers aren't nearly as good. So that's a project I'm looking at for this summer is really evaluating the differences between, you know, a 17 year old kid in a men's league and a 20 year old kid in a men's league. And if there is a bigger difference, you know, if there's more of a significance between a guy who just gets say 10 points in a year in sweden you know on paper he's not going to look great but overall you know he might actually be a lot better because of other factors are you thinking about selling your
0: house but it's not in tip-top condition how do you ensure you'll maximize your profit if your house is in need of an upgrade house lift can assist in eliminating all the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire and get this there are zero upfront costs from you the homeowner. That's right, you won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until your house closes. Houselift will handle everything, from the contractors to the design, while managing these costs. Here's what you need to do head to their website or Facebook page, both at houselift.colorado.com, and check out the incredible remodels Houselift has done for homeowners here in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from 15 to 60K more in their clients' pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today and find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh yeah, if you hire one of Houselift's preferred realtors, they will sell your home without charging a listing commission. Uh, segment number two here, the BSN Avalanche podcast, presented by Total Beverage. I've got Will Scouch here with me. Uh, will, we're going to get into this year's draft here, uh, you know, on a little bit away from all the different things that you're up to. Let's let's use those things. Let's use all that work that you're up to and, and start digging in. First off, I have to ask Hughes or Kakao.
3: Okay. Uh, at, at at first overall, it's, uh, it's still Jack Hughes to me. I, 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 you really have to pitch me hard on the idea of not going with Jack Hughes at number one. Um, I, I just, I'm the kind of person who values potential and upside. And I think, there's no, there's a real chance that next season, Capocacco's the better player. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, I mean, you plant Jack Hughes in the middle of a line with Taylor Hall, and, or, or who cares? It doesn't really matter. Uh, it, it's going to be something. And and I'm super excited to, to see what he can do in New Jersey. At the same time, look, if you want to go with Capocacco number one, it's not the decision I would make, but it's not like you're getting a bad hockey player. Um, I just think that the potential with Jack Hughes is just really, really, really enticing. Just remarkable speed, remarkable transitional player, uh, really creative playmaker, just makes everyone else better on his line. Um, You know, it's all there except for some physical stuff, which you can bring along, and he works his tail off to get to where he's been. So I'm really excited to see what what happens. Uh, It's still Hughes to me, though. Okay. I I mean
0: I do agree, but it's just been it's obviously it's been it's been an interesting conversation throughout the yes. year as ABS fans have yes. gone back and forth, and then when they didn't get the fourth or when they didn't get the top uh, top two pick, it was like oh, I don't care anymore.
3: Yeah, it yeah you can't go wrong though. I'll say that.
0: That's that's always been my answer to people is it's like regardless of what your preference is, if you pick one guy, you're not getting it wrong.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You're just getting it different. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. We are going to get in here into the, into the fourth pick a little bit from your viewpoint, you know, your
3: rankings. Let's, let's go with your rankings here. Who do you have in that three to five range? So right now I'm pretty close. More people are getting on this bandwagon of Byram Turcott three, four. Um, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm aboard with that. Um, I think my number five is Kirby Dak for the same reason of the Hughes versus Kako debate between Dak, Kozins, and Zegras. Um, for me, I just love the upside, you know, the, the potential there with someone like Kirby Dak, um, you know, he's the guy who, uh, if I'm Colorado at four and I'm playing with house money, he's the guy I look at. Um, but Byram Turcott are my three, four right now. And I'm pretty sure that that's going to stay that way.
0: Okay. So I, I really think that the, that your top five is pretty close to mine. Um, I, uh. I love Peyton Krebs, so I've got that dude just like always knocking at the door at five. Uh, but ultimately, I, I do have, I've got Byram and Turcotte in that 3-4 range. So Turcotte, Turcotte's an interesting guy because he, EPS fans are not sold on him as a legitimate top-end player. There are some people who think, oh, he's going to be a third-line center. He's going to be, uh, you know, he, he played second fiddle to Jack Hughes. He's not a real player.
3: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I, I, Alex Turcott is one of those guys who I always sort of wanted to see a reason to not believe him because he's not as flashy as a Jack Hughes. Um, but what I love, love, love about him is that he just seems to get it um, better than anyone else in the draft. You know, he's got enough skill to get by. He's got enough speed to get by. He can both make a play and score goals himself. Um, you know, he wins puck battles when he goes into them because he's got the skill and the strength, actually, for a guy his size to to get through those battles. I, I really, really like what he brings to the table. I think that that's the guy Chicago goes for. It's just too easy a match. You just send him on a trip with Jonathan Taves and say, teach this kid how to play hockey so that when you're gone, he takes your spot. Um, and, and, it's, and he's from the area, so... It just seems to make sense. You know, they're going to give every reason to draft Turcotte before passing on him. Um, so, so I think he's going to be the guy at three, but I have been wrong before. Um, I just think that there's so much to like about his game, and there's a lot of potential there for someone that seems so malleable moving forward that I think it, it's going to—I I think he's—you know, if he is the guy for Colorado at four, that's a great that's a great pickup.
0: Uh, I tend I tend to agree honestly, just that he's you know as a two way guy, who's got high end offensive ability. I don't I I really don't at all worry about his size. Uh, I mean he's already 190 pounds at 5'11. That's you know Matt Duchesne Mm -hmm. is that size today as a as a grown man. So if there's one thing that I think has been way overblown, it's that size. For sure. I do I do worry a little bit about the injuries cuz it seemed like he was constantly getting nicked up here, getting nicked up there, missing some time. Uh, and that stuff always just makes me jumpy. Um I you know, I've had to watch Joey Hishin yes. and now Connor Timmons go through uh injury and now obviously those are concussions, so those are totally mm-hmm. different. But it makes you jumpy when you're using premium picks on guys uh where you know, maybe they aren't working out because of something that has nothing to do with them as hockey sure. players. Um, so that's a a concern. I've come around on and watching turcott I look, he there's no way to say he hasn't benefited from the talent mm-hmm. around him, um, but he's also succeeded at such a level that I don't care. <laughs> that's very true.
3: Yeah, it's it's very true.
0: I, I just don't I don't man like it's the same thing with Bowen Byram like I look at Bowen Byram and and I look at the success that he's had this year and I say hey this is the same kind of thing that Kale McCarr did in 2017 except Kale McCarr did it as an older player in the AJHL and Bowen Byram is doing it as a really young player in the WHL it's absurd to me that Bowen Byram has still not been viewed as a top flight defenseman in this yeah. class. I mean, is the gap between... I mean, Rasmus Dalin last year was a hard number one all year long. Nobody questioned it. And he had a great season. And nobody ever moved off of that. Is the gap between Rasmus Dalin and Bowen Byram really that large? Well,
3: yeah, a little bit. But, um, you know, the thing about Bowen Byram, um, you know, the middle of his season was a little bit behind uh, the rest of it. But you know i think that it's interesting to compare this year to last year because there was all of those canadian hockey league defensemen who produced at the same level that bowen byron did this year byron is the only one who really matches that Uh, Evan Bouchard, Ryan Merkley, Ty Smith type of defenseman, Noah Dobson, Um, you know, that was a crazy, crazy draft class last year. And Bowen Byron is right in that mix, at least on paper. And every time I've watched him, I've really, really liked what I've seen, especially as the year came to an end and through the playoffs, he was fantastic. Um, I, I, that's why he's my number three. I, I just think that of, of players not named Jack Hughes and Capocacco, he's the best one available. Um, but there is still a gap. Um, and Alex Turcott I think really pushes him you know yeah he started the year hurt and he kind of missed missed some time um but every single time i caught him what caught watching him play um he, i think just scouts are gonna really really love him and he was uh playing on i believe the national team's second line for most of the year away from jack hughes uh he quarterbacked a line uh i believe it was with uh, trevor zegras most of the time i could be wrong it's been a while since i've seen some of their games but You know, he he was a focal point for this team, and, you know, I just really like what he brings. And with Bowen Byram, though, I mean, again, you guys are the avalanche. You know, you're going to get your choice of one of, I'd say, four players that you could make an argument for either of. And I I think that no matter what, it's house money. Um, The Matt Duchesne trade, at the end of the day, you got some fantastic players and a fantastic draft pick that hasn't even begun to, to develop or play. So I think I think that you you can really just you know roll a a four sided die and and whichever name pops up is going to be a great player. I just feel like you know that that Byram slash Turcott group is sort of on their own now, especially down the last stretch of the year after the under 18s I think it's
0: uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating decision, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. because it's going to have a huge impact on just how we feel about the uh that Matt Duchesne trade at the end of the day this was kind of their opportunity to take uh I, I mean there's nothing I can't say take it a home run and make it a bigger home run it's 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 like uh, it's just it's franchise changing uh yeah. and and it already has been in terms of culture and some of the return you know Sam Girard is obviously a huge part of the future mm-hmm. but this is this is kind of the final uh piece that they have to get right from this. Yeah. Um I wanna quickly ask you before we uh jump out of here, Kirby Doc. If they end up taking Kirby Doc over Bowen Byram
3: why should people be okay with that? It's about upside. Um you know, people have you know, there's there's one big knock on Kirby Dock that, that I've found in my in my work with him. there was about a twenty game stretch this season where he just disappeared. Um you know, in terms of on paper production, just zero. Like it was it, it was a huge dip after a really, really hot start to the year. Um, you know, he did level off towards the end, really started to catch on, had a decent playoff, but he might have been playing a little bit hurt. I would have loved to see him at the under eighteen because I think he really would have stood out on a on a Canadian team that looked like it needed a bit of a of a of a jump start, like a spark plug. Um, And I just love how Kirby Dak plays the game. You know, just really, you know, he's a big dude, but the skill he has is fantastic. Um, The speed he can generate is really good. He's a great playmaker, but he can also score goals. Um, You know, if you're looking for a player that could be, you know, at the fourth overall pick, the best player in five or six years, and you have to choose between Alex Turcott, Kirby Dack, Dylan Cousins, uh, and even maybe a Trevor Zegris, there's an argument to be made that Kirby Dack uh, could be the most productive player of the bunch. Um, you know, he has some defensive shortcomings that might need a bit of work, but I think that there's a really, really high, high-octane offensive talent there, and if you really want to swing for the fences with a fourth overall pick that you got for a guy that you drafted third overall however many years ago, 10 years ago now, um, that is about as big a swing as I think you can take in terms of generating offense. If Doc lives up to all of that potential, who is he? That's a really good question. Um, You know, I don't really know that many really big centers offensively that that can generate points like he can you know there are very small flashes that I see out of him where he's got the explosivity and the puck skill of you know especially puck control at high speeds like someone like and I, I hate saying the name because it, he's not as good as this player but like an Austin Matthews just a ton of size you know if he can get that strength up you know he's got the puck control Um, In transition, he's really good, just like Matthews is. You know, I don't think he's the same level of raw goal scorer. I don't think very many people on the planet are. Um, But in terms of just how he approaches the game with the size and the skill um, that he has, I I think there are flashes there. Um, But other than that, like, again, I'm not, I don't really like doing NHL comparables, but it's just a set of skills that you don't really come across a whole lot.
0: Yeah, when I watch him, man, I feel I feel like I'm it's the mid 2000s and I'm looking at young Ryan Getzlaff again. I was
3: going to say Ryan Getzlaff, too. He was the name that popped into my head.
0: Yeah. yeah, he's the every time I've watched him, uh that's that's who I see. Uh I had a another guest on the show a few days ago who who said Blake Wheeler but at center. Yes, and I could also see that. Yeah, that made a lot of sense to me too and the fact that he's at center obviously just That alone provides him with a different level Mm -hmm. of value. Uh, Let's go ahead and take our second break here. Um, Come back on the other side. Going to look at some of the guys from last year's class versus this year's class and kind of figure out who all these guys are uh, and, and try to make sense of the big mess that is elite young hockey players. This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Beverage. We will be right back.
1: Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary.
2: What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosks, Their online ordering and then just pick up at the store and then they're always getting new genetics as well so that's always cool.
1: Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no wait and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases.
2: I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend and I would tell them to look forward to Different strains and knowledgeable help.
1: Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today.
0: Welcome back in segment number three here. I've got a uh, little couch. Not uh, on. I guess on the internet couch. Yeah, I guess so. And that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of your whole branding I'm, here. I'm currently You've in. Got...
3: A, I'm currently in a chair though. So sorry. All right. So you're lying to the people. Yeah, I guess. Alright,
0: well, I mean, you have the couches, like your logo, you have your videos, you've got your own hoodie with yep. the
3: couch on it. And I'm looking at a couch, if that helps. And,
0: uh, I mean, it really doesn't count. Yeah, no. It really doesn't count. No. The the betrayal honestly hurts a little bit. <laughs> Dang. We got into the third segment, and it's a little little twinge it's of the pain It's all here. falling apart. <laughs> it really is. Uh, okay, so, given how this day has gone, it really does kind of mm-hmm. feel that way. It's too bad. Um, Last year's draft Ottawa had to make Kind of a Sophie's choice You know Give up the fourth overall pick And watch Colorado You know Saunter up to the stage All happy and proud And feeling good about themselves Or Use Use the pick Drop the kid in the NHL And hope for the best That's how they decided to go Brady Kuchuk had a 40 point rookie year Um Surpassed a lot of expectations, I think, uh, in in how he performed mm-hmm. in the NHL right away. Um, how do you view a guy like Alex Turcott compared to a Brady Kachuk? Upside-wise, impact-wise, down the road, uh, and in fits in Colorado.
3: So, with Brady Kachuk, I had him outside of my top 10 going into the draft. Whoa. I did. I just... I I always knew he was going to be an NHL hockey player. I It was mm-hmm. obvious. Um, his play in the offensive zone, you know, he wasn't the flashiest guy, but he knew how to play and he knew how to, you know, the points he generated that, that I saw, he was really just crashing the net, banging pucks in. It was really projectable. Um, he could skate to go along with it, which was really nice to see. His skill was pretty good for a guy his size. Um, I, I knew that whoever drafted him was going to give him every chance to to play big minutes in the NHL. It, it was pretty clear. Again, it goes back to this question of upside. Um, I felt that in the top ten last year, there was a tremendous uh, number of players that had a lot of rarity of talent. Uh, you know, Quinn Hughes to me is a once in a few years type of defenseman. Uh, Evan Bouchard, just the raw production that he had is just once in a few years. Um, Noah Dobson, I mean, just an absolute workhorse. You know, there was just a few guys who I just felt like were better long-term bets uh, than a Brady Kachuk. I mean, Brady Kachuk has played one season and has been pretty good. I mean, he's, he's slowed down as the year went on, but I mean, everyone in Ottawa slowed down as the year went on. So we'll see how it ends up for him. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not skeptical, and, and the only reason he was kind of on the outside looking in for me is just a question of where does he go from here? What type of player is he going to be in four or five years? Because you know immediately that, that he could play in the NHL very quickly. Um, but I just wasn't really sold. Whereas someone like Alex Turcotte... Um, you know, I do see the same type of he knows how to put up points at a high level, which is that in tight to the net type of play. He'll take pucks around the back of the net. He'll crash the net himself. He'll drive to the net. He'll do all of those things. But I feel like Alex Turcott, you know, brings something extra to the game, a shiftiness in transition, uh, an ability to shake off defenders, just a bit more skill to his game. Uh, there, there are things that I just like a bit more about turcott And I, I mean, I found... Uh, both caught Kenyemi and Kachuk a reach in the draft. I mean, but they were reasonable reaches, I thought. Um, You know, these these guys at the very top, past the top couple of picks, they're all very close. Uh, It's the same situation last year. It's just that last year I felt there was more defensemen, especially with real rare talent sets that were really, really interesting. So, you know, I understand the decision. If I'm in Ottawa, though, that wasn't the decision I would have made. Um, I felt like last summer was the perfect time for Ottawa to just turn the page on this whole era. Just, you know, give Colorado the pick, trade all your pending UFAs in the summer, just bottom out, sign some cheap veterans, and just start over and just burn it to the ground. Um, whereas what they decided instead was use the pick that you have because you never know. Um, you know, drag out all of these trades and see what kind of value you can get over the course of the year. You know, they got some decent offers and some decent trades and all that, but yeah, I mean, just me personally, probably not the way I would have gone, but I do really think that if you're looking at Kachuk versus Turcotte, I think Turcotte does have that same level of projectability, but I just think there's a bit more to his game that Kachuk didn't really show me.
0: Well, and and Turcotte may not be the level of, uh, on ice annoyance that oh, Kachuk will be, No. but I think as a two way guy, as an impact two way guy, uh, I think Turcotte's him. Kind of, his his ceiling is really high. I think so. And uh, I think uh, if that's if that's ultimately end up ends up being the conversation is is like Kachuk versus Turcotte, then I feel I feel pretty good about Colorado's chances yet again. If it ends up being Kachuk versus Doc, uh, that is a whole other conversation. Yeah, where I think Ottawa has, uh, they're going to have a chance in that one. Yeah, Um, it's possible. And if it ends up Byram, it's who knows? Like it's trying to compare the different positions is always kind of yeah. You're you're really just throwing a dart there. Yeah, it'll be Um, the 16th pick. Colorado's got two picks in the first round. Uh, something that hasn't they haven't done since 2011 when they took Landis Cog and Duncan Siemens. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, nailed it halfway.
3: Yeah, we'll forget about the last part of that. But, yeah. you know, it happens.
0: It does. <laughs> and that's what they are absolutely looking to avoid this year. Um, at the 16th pick, there's been a lot of talk about taking Spencer Knight. He's the top-ranked goaltender. Uh, he is widely viewed as the top guy and a legitimate first round talent is he worth
3: that uh, it it depends on who's there you know um look if you have the 16th overall pick this year and someone like alex newhook is there you take alex newhook i i i i, I did a whole video on alex Newhook. he was the first one i did because i just The first game I watched of him, I just went, holy crap, this guy can really, really play hockey. Um, You know, I know Colorado fans might look at Tyson Yost and be a bit spooked. Um, I I see a lot more in Alex Newhook than I did in Tyson Yost at the time. I mean, I wasn't super well familiar with the BCHL, but that league seems to have come a ways in the last few years in terms of overall difficulty. Um, But when I laid eyes on Newhook and looked at his numbers and what I saw with my eyes... He blew me away. I mean, just a fantastic transitional center. I mean, if you... I've been telling people if you like Jack Hughes and the way Jack Hughes plays the game but can't draft him, one of the best options not named Jack Hughes that is almost a carbon copy is Alex Newhook. Um, tremendous center in transition, really dangerous playmaker who can also score goals himself, but just, you know, always dangerous when he's on the ice, even with respect to the league that he plays in. And um, Spencer Knight, you know, look, goalies are weird. Uh, I'm always skeptical of drafting 17 year old goaltenders in the first round when you have much more projectable talents that you can fill your roster out with down the line. Um, You know, once you get past the 20 range, you could have that discussion. You know, in the mid to late 20s, I would start to think about Spencer Knight being a guy I'd look at. Um, I think mentally is where. Spencer Knight really stands out to me. I saw a lot of the national team this year. I never saw any really glaring goals against that really I thought he should have had, but at the same time, that team was extremely talented. I didn't see a tremendous amount of chances against that really warranted a a, a massive amount of uh, praise on the saves that he was making. Um, I saw him kicking a lot of rebounds right out into the middle of the ice again. Someone I saw post an article about having him in the top 10 of the draft because of, you know, and they listed a bunch of highlights of him saving, save after save after save. And I'm looking at him playing and I'm going, okay, he's staying calm, which is great. You want your goaltender to stay calm, but he's just hoofing rebounds out into the middle of the ice that his defensemen don't have time to clear. So he's making life more difficult for himself, which, you know, if he can make the saves, then great. But you don't see very many NHL goaltenders really kicking those rebounds right out into the middle of the ice. Maybe if you see him like what I've seen out of Frederick Anderson here in Toronto, who does kick rebounds, but he does it in a way that kicks them into the corners, kicks them behind the net, just tries to keep the pucks away from dangerous areas uh, and make those easy saves. Um, So I think with Spencer Knight, it's just really risky to me. And there are goaltenders, I think, available later on this year that are Good bets, I would say. Um, most goaltenders drafted in the first round are not always the best options. You know, I remember looking at all the NHL goaltenders a little while back and looking at where they were drafted. And it, it, between rounds one and four, I mean, it, it was like a 50-50 split versus guys who played a lot and guys who never played in the NHL. Um, I, my my strategy with goaltenders, again, it's not particularly good. You know, refined because I'm not a goalie expert. But I like looking at goaltenders who, over the last few years, save a lot of pucks because you got to be saving pucks. Um, It's nice if they face a lot, a high workload and save a lot of pucks. Like Mad Sogard in the WHL this year is six foot seven, saves a lot of pucks, faces a lot of pucks. Um, And the other thing is, I think size does matter with goaltending, especially now. Goaltending equipment is proportional to their size nowadays. Um, And in a game of inches where the game is so much faster, I think those couple of inches that a goaltender might have combined with the athleticism really could go a long way. So Knight has the size, uh, of course. But to me, the question is, are you getting a goaltender who has 85% of the chance of being as good as Spencer Knight uh, in the third round, and you can spend that 16th overall pick on someone who has a ton of palpable demonstrable upside like an Alex Newhook or God forbid if Peyton Krebs starts falling through the draft for some reason or you take a big swing on someone like Cam York to round out that defense group I mean there's a lot more sort of team building aspects that I look at before Spencer Knight
0: you can't even you can't even try to can try to talk to me about Peyton Krebs falling down to 16. Because uh, if, if that happens and they don't take him, I will be apoplectic in the <laughs> arena. Yeah, I, there I will too. be a scene. I will be on television. Uh, it will get dramatic in a, <laughs> in a hurry.
3: I I would do the same. I would join you.
0: I I I can't fathom a world in which that happens. I I refuse to live there. No, I agree. Um, Spencer Knight. Okay, so Alex Newhook. You bring up Newhook because. Uh, the idea of Colorado going Byram 4 and New Hook at 16 has become kind of the uh, flavor du jour of Avalanche mm-hmm. fans. That's, that's the combination they want to walk out of the draft with. If they take Turcott or Doc at 4, do you still take New Hook at 16 and just say
3: screw it? I don't think you can have enough centers. You know, I. I, I... I think the the modern NHL game is played in transition up the middle of the ice. Um, So you need your defensemen to be mobile. You need your defensemen to be able to move pucks. You need your centers to be mobile. uh, Gain those zone entries. You need your wingers to be able to play both in the middle of the ice and on the half boards. You know, grinding pucks out along the boards, you don't see that, I don't think, as much, uh, at least not in the regular season, as much as you might uh, in in a few years past. But I, I... So I think that you go for guys who play with speed and puck control up the middle of the ice and new hook has that in spades you know even someone like Vasily Podkolzin, if he's there at 16 and Colorado wants to swing on him he's a great player who's in transition it's just the other parts of his game that are kind of strange you know he gets his shots off but you know I just feel like he doesn't use the team he's given or doesn't use the ice that he's given to his best advantage and I think that's something that's really tough to fix but Podkolzin has all of the tools to be a really, really great aggressive offensive player um, that will fit in terms of with his skating ability and just his mentality in the NHL. Um, I, I just am not sure the offensive tools are going to get there, you know. But other than that, if Cam York is there, that's a guy that you might look at. I mean, if you're if you've already got Dak at four, do you look at someone like Bobby Brink at 16? Because I'm I'm imagining he's available. You know, I've seen a lot of Bobby Brink play. And if that kid can learn how to skate, if you just paste him to a skating coach, you know, he's going to a place in Denver where they love their skilled guys. You know, that, that, that program has a lot of guys with just a lot of raw skill. And Bobby Brink is certainly raw and he certainly has a lot of skill. And if that's the direction that Colorado wants to go because they think he could be something really, really special, which I think he could be. I wouldn't be surprised if they went that direction as well and just went full send on both of those picks um, because they're already such a good team and they're already so promising uh, that I think they can be a little bit riskier and try to go for someone like a Bobby Brink there. Outside of that, yeah, I mean, it'll depend on who's available. It really, really will.
0: I think think what, what Colorado does... I mean, what they do in this draft could be the thing that that def- ends up defining them over the next, you know, several years. You know, how far does does this group take them? This is kind of the last like big push they're gonna get because the team. I think the team, you know, especially with the money they have to spend in free agency, uh, they're not gonna be sitting around drafting 16th anymore uh, in the next few years. Uh, so drafting at four and 16. This is their chance, man. Like this is this is it. This is the last. This is the last time we're going to be talking this much about the draft uh, after you know in a in a postseason because they might they might be playing this time of year. Sure. Uh, the next couple of years. So, uh, you know, in Colorado, that that's that's the world we're looking at. They they can't get this wrong. They can't screw this up. And I wonder if they you know they've always been a little more conservative on draft day and i wonder if they go that route again if that's just their personality or if they shrink from the moment a little bit and they do say we've got two first rounders why why take a risk on one of them when we could be conservative and we can go the martin caut route again and you know take a guy with a high floor but a lower ceiling that we're confident will be an NHL player.
3: Sure. I, I could see that as well. You know, it's about the discussion you have and the player you feel is the good fit. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, you, again, like I said, you can never have too many centers, and I think defensemen are really important. Yeah. Um, someone like a Villy could be a really good, interesting player in, in Colorado on defense there. I've really liked him more and more, and I think he's ramped up during the season. Um, you know, and I, I've liked what I've seen out of him. Um, you know, do you go for someone like a Philip Tomasino or a Connor McMichael, even two guys from the OHL who I think look really good, even though there's their absolute ceilings might be somewhat limited. Uh, they do play the right way. They bring a lot of aggressive offensive talent, you know, they are no slouches in their own zone. Um, you know, so maybe they do go that direction. I, I just feel like they already have so much to like, uh, you know, and at fourth overall, you're going to get a good player. You know, if you handle them carefully and you work with them and let them develop and dominate at every level that they're playing at and be patient, which I think Colorado can afford to be a little bit patient with these guys. Um, then I think that there's going to be a, a cup, at least one really good player to come out of it. And, you know, maybe at 16, you go with the Martin kaut route, who I think is a good hockey player. Um, But, you know, I'm more of a fan of, you know, using their draft picks to just keep swinging. Because if you hit on one, you're going to really hit on one. And it might sting if you maybe swing and miss on someone who maybe doesn't turn into what you think they will. Um, But I, I just find certain things, especially the numbers behind a guy like Bobby Brink, as just almost too good to pass up.
0: I think it's going to be interesting. I uh I finished my Bobby Brink scouting report yesterday and I said he wasn't a first rounder to me. Uh so I like that I like that you and I are going to be on a little bit of a different uh, page on that. Yeah. We'll have to uh, see. I just uh there's there's a lot of questions that I have about projectable skills there and what he might have been able to get away with outside of shooting. I wonder about him as an all-around player. Uh we could probably do an entire show just about Bobby Brink you and I going back and forth, but I want to get you out of here. I do appreciate the time you've already given me. But I have one last question for you. And that is, why why is everybody sleeping on Dom Fensori? And when does, when does he get drafted?
3: Uh, well, okay. So I made a video on Dominic Fensori. Because I started out my series by tracking Cam York and made a video on him. And... I always found myself really intrigued by Dominic Fensori every time watching the U.S. national team. Actually, both him and John Beecher were two guys who really stood out to me as guys really flying under the radar on that team, you know... You have the four or five or six guys that everyone's paying attention to, but there's these two other guys that no one seems to be talking about. Um, Now everyone's talking about Dominic Finsori after the World Under-18s because, of course they are, because he's on a bigger stage and he's a great hockey player. Um, You know, I don't think he's a first-round pick, personally, but uh, (laughs) I do think that he should be a guy that teams are looking at in the second round. That's my hunch. Um, You know, he matches up with Cam York, really well on on most metrics that i track and he doesn't usually play on the same pair as cam york sometimes he did but not all the time um the things that i love about dominic fensori well number one not named jack hughes he's probably the best pure skater on that team um the guy can just fly and 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 some guys just have speed and no puck control uh he knows how to weave through defenses you know he he's The downside is he's five foot seven, uh, maybe going to grow a couple of inches. Um, but in terms of a transition defenseman, a puck mover, an efficient passer, I, I, I always just was really drawn to watching Dominic Fensori. He's going to get fans out of the seats. You know, there's a ton of upside there, you know, the, 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 mobility, the vision, the, you know, he has moments of really aggressive offensive play, um, you know, yeah, he's five foot seven, but that doesn't mean he's unwilling to engage in physical contact. One thing about him that really interested me from the games that I tracked, he broke up a lot of breakouts in transition as well. You know, his skating is great and he's great with his sticks. So he can, he can really avoid getting hemmed in his own zone, which is where he falls apart a little bit, you know, um, fighting guys off in front of the net, missing assignments in his own end. It it can be shaky and that's somewhat common with young players. Um, But, you know, when he was on the ice, he had a goal or a primary assist on 25.5% of goals scored, which is pretty good for a defenseman and had points on 41% of the goals scored on the ice. And relative to Cam York, York was a 32% and a 44% respectively. So relatively comparable, Cam York obviously more on the higher end of that. But Again, if you can get 90% of the player in the second round, then I think you've got a really, really valuable second round pick there. I think he'll be available later um, because of his size and his physical shortcomings, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be a bad pick. Uh, I-, I just always have really, really been drawn to how he plays the game, and I think for a modern defenseman, um, th- there is a lot of projectability to like there.
0: So, he's five seven. Yes. I can get behind like a Cole Caulfield At uh, 5'7 When you score that many goals A defenseman Is going to be a lot
3: tougher so Sure but I would Just counter with you know I'm looking at my cell phone Right now which is what Maybe five six Inches tall you know if I'm Taking my cell phone and cutting it in half and putting It on top of Dominic Fensori's head he's The same size as Tori Krug you know Is that going to be a big thing that holds him back from, you know, really being an excellent, excellent offensive defenseman. I'm, I think it's worth the gamble just because of how naturally gifted he is on his feet. Uh, I I think he knows what his limitations are uh, just from watching him play a bunch of times. I think he's aware of that. Um, He's certainly a lot of fun to watch, you know, Mm -hmm. even if he becomes a power play specialist You know, even for Colorado folks, you know, you've got Sam Girard, uh, fantastic skating, undersized defenseman, you know, so maybe Colorado doesn't want more than one of those guys in their defense group, sure. Um, But but I certainly think someone like Fensori could fit in, especially if the difference between him being a, say, second-round pick and a fifth-round pick is, you know, two inches of height.
0: I think in, in the fifth round, I have no issues i i honestly i think in the third round i have no issues uh but at at 47 where colorado picks their second time i would definitely be iffy there um i'd be curious about how other teams are going to value him and he's definitely going to be one of the guys that i'm keeping a close eye on once uh once day two gets in un- underway because i'm i'm fascinated to see i mean that's we're always talking about how it's it's getting smaller and faster and it's more skill based. Well, this year we have a couple of extreme examples. You know, Cole Caulfield is going to be the forward version of it, uh, where you're a lot more comfortable. There are a lot more small forwards, guys who are five foot nine, who have succeeded. Yep. You know, Johnny Johnny Gaudreau could fit inside my pocket. He had ninety nine <laughs> points this year. Yep. So you know there are there are forwards who have succeeded had been really small, but a 5 foot 7 defenseman in the modern era I don't I don't know of any off the top of my head, although, you know, I've been I've been around Tyson Berry enough to know whatever that guy's listed at is generous. <laughs> so, uh I I can tell you, you know, there there are some smaller guys, but that's real small and that's And you always do wonder, you know, okay, well where's the line? Where's the line? And I think Don is the kind of guy That can help us find where that line is uh, And I'm I'm excited to see where he goes on draft day And to, to, to watch his development over the next few years
3: Sure, I mean, and my attitude is more If you can play, you can play You know, and, and what I see out of a guy like him it, It's just really, really tantalizing I mean, it, just the way that he skates And how he can control the puck at that high speed And just weaving through uh, defensive systems you know, it's really nice, you know, and the fact that he's smaller, I kind of see it as a bit of an advantage. He can keep the puck tighter to his body, less of a distance between his body and the puck, you know, the lower center of gravity. He's not particularly skinny out there. He does look small, uh, but he's not necessarily gonna, you know, I, I didn't see him really getting rubbed off a lot of pucks. I saw him blow through defenders who were trying to pin him against the boards. You know, he's just very evasive. Mm -hmm. So, it's going to be interesting, like you said, to see if that projects. I I totally agree. And I have him ranked way higher than most people have him ranked, but that's only because of what I see and what I've tracked and, and, you know, his relative value. I don't expect him, uh, to be a, a early second round, mid second round pick. But I mean, if I'm sitting in the third round and I have the 75th pick overall, I, that is a player that I certainly will take a swing on.
0: Well, I mean if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm I've got Alex Vlasek here or I've got Dom Vensori, It's like why 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 go with a guy that you know is probably going to end up on your AHL team on like the <laughs> second PK unit and like have a nice long pro career where when he's 28 years old he's over in Switzerland or mm-hmm. something. Yep. Like why why do that? Why not just take the home run swing and see what happens with the dynamic little guy? For sure. Well, I do want to thank you for coming on to the show today. I really appreciate the time. Uh, I know you and I have had quite the adventure this evening, so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and let you get out of here. It's all right, um, man. Let, let the good people know where they can find you and where uh, where they can dig up all your work. Of course.
3: Uh, well, the main place I'm most active is twitter.com slash scouching. Uh, you can also find me at youtube.com scouching. I believe that's the custom URL. If you search scouching on YouTube, you'll find it. Um, You can support the project at patreon.com slash scouching, where there's data sheets for hundreds and hundreds of drafted and undrafted prospects that you can get access to full of a bunch of different metrics that are fun to look through. Um, We have private chat rooms like on Discord and such. Uh, You get early access and credit to videos as well. Um, So those are the most active places. You can check out the website at scouching.ca. There's some cool little visualization tools to help make these metrics and all of this data a little bit easier to digest rather than just staring at a spreadsheet. Um, the public version of this spreadsheet, which is the basically consensus top 100 players available this year is available. I, the link is extremely long and complicated and I won't bore you with it, but just ask me on Twitter and I will find the link for you and get it to you. So yeah, any of those things and you'll be able to stay in touch with what I'm doing. Well, there you have it.
0: will scouting. Thank you for coming on to the show. That'll be it for today's uh, BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Thank you guys a lot. We will see you tomorrow.
1: The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado. And right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. Ed May, Executive Director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter.
2: We had six grand prizes this year and 40-plus other prizes so the the big ticket items so to speak or the grand prizes are a trip to the bmw championship including vip access thanks to our partnership with bmw uh, we have trip to stream song we have a trip to band and dunes we have a trip to sand valley and then we have what i think might be the coolest a chance to take in, uh a seven series bmw down to telluride to play in a cga only event The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradogolf.org. Tickets are $40, and, you know, all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation.
1: For a chance to win, be sure to go to coloradogolfassociation.org.